The hard bit is not doing it. The easy bit is doing it. Piece of piss. Taking drugs. Doping. Hey, podcast listener. You're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. The weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around. Sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 8 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe the only French a semi-pro cyclist knows is Mayo Jean, Peloton, and Bidon. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking drugs. The podcast, it is on iTunes and you can subscribe by going to semiprocycling.com and clicking on the iTunes picture. Also, if you like the show, please take some time out to give us a review on iTunes. Thanks. Okay, so let's get into the news. And what I was talking about last week as far as the Tour of Duty ride, well, they're still going. It's a long ride. They have hit Colorado and specifically Durango, which just happens to be at the time one of the largest cycling events in US history well it's a US Pro Challenge which is a pretty big deal I even saw on Twitter that Cadel's there and then I go across to the Facebook page and these guys have met the whole BMC team that's pretty awesome I'd be pretty stoked with that so I've definitely got to get in contact with Ty and see how he's going I'm trying to get a bit of feedback from him to see how he's feeling during the whole ride because it is epic. It would take a lot. I don't know how much riding he's been doing in preparation, but when he comes out of this, he's going to be pretty fit. I'm sure he's going to be looking for new challenges. He was talking about riding around the world, so we'll see what what happens with that. The same applies to last week. I'll put the details up where you can go and check out more information. The Facebook page is super active. They're putting pictures and things up every single day. And you can drop some coin for these guys as well. Uh, there's a few links. There's a few ways to do it. You can text your number, etc. So please go and check it out. It looks like they're having a great time still. There's lots of smiles. I can't sense any pain yet. We'll see what happens from here. Alright, let's get to the nuts and bolts of today's show. And what I want to talk about is marginal gains. Now, it's been pumping around the internet as far as the marginal gains of the GB team, the Great Britain team, after their huge, huge success at the Olympics. And with any massive win like this, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny around the Great Britain team. So it's only natural because of this dominance... And I've been reading a lot about the team and it's clear to me that the culture that was fostered from these changes came from the top down. So so I'm specifically talking about Peter King, the executive director of British Cycling. He led a secretive all or nothing program coined the Podium Program where GB only focuses on athletes that are capable of winning an Olympic medal. Now that's pretty controversial in itself. They have funding for over 40 athletes but they ended up for this Olympics only concentrating on 22 or 23 athletes. So Peter King was the guy that actually began the program, which he dubs the aggregation of marginal gains, where every aspect of athlete preparation and lifestyle was looked at. So we're talking about equipment, clothing, training methods, nutrition, and anything else that could produce a marginal gain. Chris Boardman uh, describes marginal gains in pretty simple terms, like this. Marginal gains is about finding 1,000 things and improving them all by a fraction of a percent. 
When medals can be won and lost by fractions of a second, you begin to see why Team GB have become so obsessed with finding tiny improvements at every level. Even down to the nuts that hold the bike together. Put them all together and they make a difference. That's the aggregation of marginal gains. Great Britain actually have a team of 15 marginal gains specialists. This is a pretty massive undertaking to break down all these elements. And having a team like that, I believe it would mean that you are successfully working out each part of the marginal gain strategy and you would be able to play out any strategy that you come up with. It ranges in experts in this team from biomechanics to nutrition to physiotherapy. And so far, 28 major projects have been completed in the last two and a half years. Some like the work they do on bikes and kit last up to four years, which is a full Olympic cycle, while others, like Olympic development, stretch out out of sight of London. It's not only the GB national squad that gets the benefits from the marginal gains theory. Team Sky are part of the program, and they also think of everything. So you name it, they're already doing it. Their mechanics work in conditions that would put some surgeons to shame. There are laundry technicians that make sure the riders get their own pillow and sheets in every hotel, just to name a couple of things. So what can we take from Team GB for our own success? Well, how do you break down your performance to identify marginal gains that can make up the difference to your success? To do that, we need to look a little deeper into Team GB's approach. And for them, it all starts with goals. In Team GB's case, unrealistic goals for times such as a 355 team pursuit was set. Then through the discipline of these goals, everything worked backwards from there. So exploring in finite detail the demands of each event. We're talking about the performance. And then once they're able to absolutely be clear on the demands for each discipline on the track and the road... They assessed how they're doing in relation to all of those things. Then they can work out the gaps. So in other words, where they currently are compared to where they aspire to be. Next is the marginal gains part, where they break the demands down. So they break the performance down. They break everything surrounding that event down to identify absolutely everything that they can possibly think of that will impact on these demands and performances of each individual events. They also look further afield than just the cycling, the cyclist and the event. They look at other factors surrounding the entire thing. At the Olympics themselves, they had a team that ensured that every single bike rider didn't have to do any more work than they had to so they would warm up the bike rider would simply go and sit down and there would be a bike handler that would carry the bike everywhere they needed to go these small things exemplify marginal gains so there's fitness and conditioning of course but there are other things that might seem to be on the periphery so we're talking about other things like cleaning hands if you do things like that properly, then you get ill a little bit less. So this is a quote from Peter himself. So they actually went and did training with a surgeon to figure out the best way to do this. And then to test it, they had a team wash their hands and put dye on them to see which areas stuck to and which areas they were not washing properly. So this is the detail we're talking about. And it all came down to it's all about confidence for when you step up to the start line. So for yourself, knowing that you've done everything you possibly could, so when you step up to the start line, there are no excuses. Brailsford breaks it down like this. Firstly, you need a team with the skills and motivation to succeed. Secondly, you need to understand what you want to achieve, which is setting a goal. Thirdly, you need to understand where you are now. Then, you need to put a plan in place to see how you're going to get where you are now to where you want to achieve. 
So you're setting performance goals linked to the first goal and process goals linked to the performance goal. Okay, so I've put together a list. Well, I call it the incomplete list of Team Great Britain's marginal gains. I've scoured the internet. I've scoured all of the information to try and put it all in one place to see if there's anything here that we can pull out for ourselves. If we're talking about a team of 15 people in a marginal gains arena that are just focused on that, how are we going to actually be able to do this for ourselves? Well, when we get to the end of this list, I'm going to pick out three and I'm going to see how they can work for us right now, very next race, as soon as possible. So number one, bikes. Each bike in the GB team is designed for a specific event. Nothing new here. You don't ride a cyclocross bike on a mountain bike race, but they're built for the individual using computational fluid dynamics, a technique which harnesses computer processing power to model air flows and see how even the tiniest change to the bike will affect how the air behaves around it. So CFD is used to pick out all the right shapes for tubes and handlebars. That's very, very specific. It would be pretty awesome if every single bike you had was built just for you, just for the discipline that you do. So if you're a road rider but you love crits, you have a bike that's aerodynamically set for you when you're riding a crit. A little tidbit of information here, Chris Hoy used a one-inch steerer, which for me, so much for oversized steering marketing, just blows that out of the water. We'll see if anything changes here. Okay, two, saddle. The new saddle was developed over two years, and it's a very special shape that makes sure the riders aren't getting injured and they can do more training time. The picture of it is like this two weird, two-pronged, thing out the front it doesn't have a rounded single edge at the front i don't know actually what the benefit is other than what i've said what the hell were they doing to their saddles i know mine gets always has on the right hand side it drops down further whether my hip rotation is doing something wrong but i haven't been injured from it so i don't know what the hell these guys are doing but they are sprinters they are the fastest bike riders in the world so who knows cranks they don't look anything special to anybody else but they're actually hollow and they're made of 180 separate pieces of carbon fiber to strength test them they took them and they hung them on the equivalent of a lift full of people off it they're 200 grams lighter than dura ace apparently and they still didn't break it's two and a half times stiffer than anything else in the market this is all coming out of chris boardman's mouth what they're talking about here is just their track cranks wheels the rear disc was refined to make the wake of the air behind the bike as small as possible and the tires are made of silk to help them hold pressure 205 psi is the quoted pressure and the wheels the infamous wheels that the french don't like there was a big blow up about that it's all bullshit in my mind but anyway clothing their skin suits incorporated a tripwire So I got this information from the Inner Ring blog. It's a killer blog. You should check it out. It was a very clever observation that they've incorporated what's called a tripwire into the surface. It actually reduces drag and creates a more streamlined airflow. What it is, if you can find some pictures of this, if you imagine a line down the center of each arm, and then they use them on booties as well, if you can imagine that, that's all it is, but it's creating an airflow effect that's different from not using it, which you actually get a benefit from. So the aim is to actually split the airflow as it passes over the clothing. By looking closely, you'll not only see that they were using it in the track events, but the Inner Ring blog claims that it's visible in the custom yellow skin suit used by Bradley Wiggins during stage 9 of the Tour de France. So two tripwires in the arms, inner and outer. And you'll also notice that they have tripwires on their shoe covers. So that's why they're as tall as they're allowed to be, because there is actually a benefit on the legs. And I was reading that the benefit on the legs is greater than the upper body. 
but you couldn't run them all the way up because then that would raise suspicion because they were banned in skiing circles over 15 years ago. It's a little controversial. We'll see if anything comes of this. And then there are other details about the fabric itself and and the unusual length of the sleeves. The other one which was pushed in the press afterwards, and I do believe that Australia came up with the same technology but from a different angle. Hot pants! So when the rider goes on the rollers before the race and they're trying to warm up, you know, you get the muscle temperature up. But because of the practicalities of racing, you have to stop about 10 minutes before the race. Well, this is track racing. If you're talking any other style, then, you know, like a a road race or a mountain bike race, you may have to get there for staging or whatever beforehand. Muscles cool down really quickly. So now the riders are given these pants when they get off the rollers and they keep them warm until the moment they get on the track. It's quoted as the track cycling version of tyre warmers in F1. They have quickly zips that actually help them get them off in a flash and they can jump on their bikes before to the start of the race, safe in the knowledge that their muscles are at optimum 38 degrees centigrade. Now the shorts run from the calves to the quadriceps and they have lightweight battery slots in the pockets at the back and all you have to do is flick a switch and it heats a series of filaments which then run over the specific muscle groups. Have a quick listen, a bit of a better explanation. As soon as you take them off, your legs feel like they're ready to go. You know, you feel as if you did at the very end of your warm-up, but you're obviously not out of breath and you're not fatigued. I can definitely see these popping up in other forms of cycling, especially if we're talking colder races, cyclocross races in winter, where a warm-up is just as important as track events. Okay, so the next one, we're talking about positioning, so profiling and monitoring every single person in the squad. So the aerodynamics, the starts, and the route taken up and down the track were all plotted on computers. I think it's one thing to take this information, it's another thing to know what to do with it. Uh, Specific program requirements and training for the anomalies, such as the golden hour, this is where you're adjusting your training, specifically based on the event that you're competing in. Well, I don't just mean the event as in the type of race, I mean the race. So what are the specific anomalies in that event at that specific place. I will talk a little bit about this in a moment. Okay, sticky tires, spraying alcohol on wheels to remove a layer of dirt and increase tackiness before the standing start. Data rider, they have a black box or an integrated performance measurement box in the size of a matchbox under a rider's saddle. They have a video of complete performances to establish actual distance race down to the last millimetre, literally. Fish oil and cherries consumed in large quantities because of antioxidants helping muscles recover quicker. Jason's brother, the pre-2008 life-size models of athletes, they were called this because the first was the 2000 gold kilo medalist, Jason Quirley, used for wind tunnel resistance tests. I'm sure each athlete appreciated that they didn't have to be there for every single wind tunnel test. And the software, they were using Dartfish software and Quintic software. These were for either biomechanics when you're on the bike or recording and replaying training and performances and then overlapping them so you can see or overlapping the winner or other riders in the race so you can see what they were doing and what you were doing differently so you can make up the difference. Okay, so I have picked out three that you can apply to your riding. Number one, the concept of golden hour or training for specific scheduling anomalies at big races. Here's a clip of one of the pursuit members talking specifically about how they trained for golden hour. And are you rehearsing that? 
one ride one day and two rides the next. Is yeah, it? yeah, we've been doing a lot on this golden hour, we call it, like, yeah, just trying to you know, bang out a 4K and then get up, uh, you know, even less than an hour's time afterwards, sort of still full of acid on the rollers and try and get up and do it all over again. So, uh, yeah, obviously, it's quite a big deal because uh, there's no point in getting to the final if you're, uh, you can't back it up. So does that change a lot in your training, having to uh, do two in one hour? Yeah. I mean, we are prepared for, like I said, we've done a f- quite a few sort of back-to-back efforts, you know, trying to recover off big efforts and go again within an hour, which is something we never bothered doing before because it was just more important that, uh, you know, that we just unleash fury in the final. OK, so in the case of the men's pursuit, it began on Thursday the 2nd of August at 4.50pm with the qualifying round. And it picked up the following day with round one at 4.15pm and the final at 5.55pm. So this is where you heard that they were training for max effort on one day and then backing that up with two max efforts on the second day. They were probably doing it at the exact same time as well, which comes back to that idea of recalling information. It was back in the music podcast, podcast number three, where I was talking about training in the exact same conditions that you'll be racing in. So this kind of comes down to that, but it's a little bit of an extension because it's saying not only the conditions and the timing, but the exact physical effort that's going to be needed on that day. We're talking about a gap of uh, an hour or so in between the last round or the round one and the final. It's a big call to back up that early. So how can you use this in your cycling? So I've got other examples here. So if you're going into a cross-country race and you know they're usually on the Saturday and then they have a short course on the Sunday, do a practice cross-country race one day and then the next day do a short course practice. Cyclocross races, there is usually two races on a weekend. So do a max effort one day and then back up with a max effort the next day. And tours, road tours are a perfect example of this. So you have smaller tours, you can have up to five races over three days, you know, on Friday afternoon, a time trial, and then you can have a road race and a crit, and then a road race on the final day. Actually doing race rehearsals for this is going to be super effective in my mind. Okay, number two, fish oil, taking fish oil. I found a great resource for cyclists and fish oil. It's the complete guide. Uh, It's on the blog, lovingthebike.com. It's super solid, and I really can't do it justice. You should go there and check it out. The gist of it is, though, that generally the more omega-3s, the better. So since the fats promote the production of hormones that reduce inflammation, rather than the production of those that increase it, fish oils and omega-3 effects are far-reaching and very important to cyclists. The importance of omega-3s, the main omega-3 fat benefits are the balance of inflammatory hormones and anti-inflammatory hormones and the production in our bodies. So when we eat a diet high in omega-3s and lower in omega-6s, our bodies create and utilize more anti-inflammatory hormones. These hormones serve to keep Keep our arteries flexible. Keep our immune systems in check by reducing the release of cytokines. They improve brain function and brain cell rebuilding. They are a healthy gene regulator. They maintain healthy vision and eye health. And they reduce inflammation. So body inflammation has a direct impact on conditions like chronic fatigue, asthma, cancer. And as a cyclist, these conditions, or lack thereof, have a direct impact on your performance on the bike. You know, your lungs, joint, 
strength, weight, fatigue, your recovery, and your overall well-being. So bam, why wouldn't you take fish oil? On the actual site itself, they have recommendations for amounts as well. I'm not going to get into that because I'm not a nutritionalist. So moving to number three, the final one. What's the final marginal gain that can help you tomorrow? Well, you got to buy this shit first. Shoe covers. Biting directly from cyclingtips.com.au. Best bang for your buck in a time trial. Shoe covers. Acclaimed 30 seconds saved in a 40 kilometer time trial. Now, that's pretty awesome considering you can just make them at home. You don't need to go out and buy a brand name one. Now, I know it's not super semi-pro and you probably already have your own semi-pro ones. But you can bring a bit of flair in. But next to nothing. I've made them. I admit it was a long time ago, but I managed to just get some lycra. So for one shoe, all you're going to need to do is just trace out the shape of your shoe, cut out two pieces exactly the same, stitch it together, cut a hole for where your leg goes, cut a hole for your cleat, and that's it. You have to use lycra, but you can't use any shiny materials because the UCI law doesn't allow for it. It's super simple. It won't take you that long to do. The only thing missing is the logo, but depending on how you do them, I think they can look pretty cool. The other part of clothing, so we're not talking about trip wires, we're not talking about super expensive things, we're just talking about a skin suit here, and no, I don't have any hacks for ways to stitch together your jersey and your knicks. You've got to go out and buy a skin suit. But a skin suit is claiming uh, 134 seconds in a 40-kilometer time trial. Bam. That is pretty big, I reckon. And when we move to the next section, I'm going to talk about it. So let's get there. Let's get to the hack, techs, and product section. And so today I'm going to talk about Champion Systems CS1. Now, it was about a year ago, me and my buddy were talking about absolutely not getting into the clothes that we owned, our cycling clothes. You know, if it's not club kit and you and you don't have a sponsor of some sort, then you're left hanging out to dry with a really limited choice of clothing. Okay, there are some cool brands out there, but you can't put your personal touch on it. So then your arm warmers start, don't match with your jersey and your socks don't match with your helmet and... It's a bit of a pain in the ass when the technology is out there that you can create shit. You can design and create a t-shirt and have it sent to you the next day. So why can't you do with cycling clothes? Well, the solution right now, you can order one complete set of clothing that you have designed for yourself and you don't need to do minimum runs. That was the biggest issue we came across, that we would have to build our own team just so we could afford to have our own custom clothing for ourselves. But now, this problem has been solved by Champion Systems, where you just have to order five pieces of kit out of their massive selection and you can custom make all of them and then, down the track, you can order bit one by one after you've done this first order. Now, this is pretty mental and I'm super excited about this because it's been a long time coming and it means that Every single person does not have to look like a fucking Gumby when they're riding their bike and they don't have to wear club clothes all of the time. Now, I'm off club clothes when you have to wear them, but they're a little daggy. They're not that cool. They've, they've come, they have come a long way. But this is to say that if you're going to start designing your own clothes, please get a professional or someone that knows what they're doing to do it. Otherwise, you're going to look worse than than whatever you're wearing right now. Okay, so related to the clothing bit, you can buy speed shoe covers for 76 bucks, lycra ones for 40 as part of the deal, and a skin suit. You can get a long sleeve speed skin suit, which in the pictures it looks pretty similar to what the Aussies are wearing for 368 bucks. Depending on how much these seconds mean to you, that's not really a lot of lot of cash when you're talking other things like aero helmets and and wheels and discs 
you're only going to be using you're not even going to be using discs in training but you could use these other things in training I guess as an example for the clothes that you can buy one short sleeve jersey one bib short one short sleeve skin suit a thermal winter jacket and a wind guard wind vest so you can have a whole kit I mean you know they do arm warmers they do gloves they do socks shoe covers the whole deal check it out I'll put the link up there if anyone's a designer get in touch because I really want to do this I want to get a full kit made but I want it cool and I don't know whether I've got the skills to do that if you're a designer get in touch let's try and get some cool clothes happening we could even do a whole series Ugh, bang anyway so let's get to the quote from the top of the show and it was David Miller confessing his sins it was on his media hype drive when he was going around talking about his sins and this guy did an interview and I found this clip he did this interview and he just chopped it up it's pretty cool it's a cool little clip I've got it linked so you can go and check it out I haven't read the book yet so my opinion about the whole story is out but if you listen to this he has an interesting take on why he took it I'm not going to get into it because it's a whole other issue in itself but if you do watch it let me know what you think of David Miller I'd be very interested to hear so that's it Till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 